Welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar. My name is David. It is indeed a Womp Trade Wednesday. Things are happening in 49er land. Poor CJ Beathard might as well be dead. But it's mostly because we traded for Jimmy Garoppolo. That's one R, two P's Garoppolo. We're going to screw it up. But you know what? You can't hear spelling through the radio. And that's (laughs) what's going to save us all. It is what's going to save us all. Man, lots of things are happening here in 49er land. Not a lot of them are game related. So while typically we get you about 30 minutes of kind of game recap, some rundown stuff, and then get to the preview of the next game, this week we're going to change things around. We're definitely going to get to the game, but we're going to spend a lot less time on the game because it is Garapalooza time, just like Lollapalooza. I practiced that maybe six or seven times before we went on the air. Uh, Can ha- confirm that that actually happened. He's not making that. Up. I am definitely not making it up, but <laughs> we've got lots to get to. So let's get right to the game. Uh, let's get to the Philadelphia Eagles. Things we think we predict. We predicted perhaps the early demise of CJ Beathard. Turns out he lived, but only just barely. I mean, really just barely. Um, it was ugly, man. I felt bad for the guy. <laughs> like felt so bad for him having to, uh, to go out there and just take that beating. Um, I mean, I think all said and done, so it looks like he had 45 dropbacks total, uh, 26 of those, 26 of them under pressure, um, So, which is just like an insane amount. Uh, and it's, 60% for those of you doing the math at home, uh, yeah. which is the highest pressure rate in any single game for any quarterback in the National Football League. Is that bad? That's is, bad. Is, is that not good? Um, That's no bueno. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's tough to even know what to say about it, right? I mean, it's just like the offensive line is a complete nightmare. I mean, you have, uh, you know, guys going out, you're, you're basically playing Zane Beatles and Gary Gilliam. And then Gary Gilliam went out like at some point, yes. which I don't even know. Like, Our good friend, Gary, uh, uh, he needed to take one of the L's out of his name, uh, turn it into Gilliam and use it as a leg. Cause he was, it was not good, man. It was not it's good. Like they're shuffling things around and they're shuffling, you know, players that aren't good in one spot to a play, to a spot that they're even worse at. And it's Zane just Beatles like, playing left tackles, not a world you want to be um, in. Um it, it was tough, man. It was it was a tough situation for Beathard yet, out there. And yet despite all that, Beathard was both the leading passer and rusher. Take that for what it's worth for what it's worth. Uh he was seventeen for thirty six for hundred and sixty seven yards, one touchdown, two interceptions, uh you know, also six carries and forty yards. Uh he's a running back. <laughs> And a quarterback, a true running threat, dual threat quarterback, true running threat. That's exactly right. CJ Kaepernick. That's right. So the interceptions that we were talking about earlier, a couple podcasts ago, looks like they eventually happened. Didn't happen on the left sideline. It happened on the right sideline, but similar kind of thing. I mean, his ball location was off and we're not going to spend too much time talking about CJ because what's the point? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, man, your time's done. Yeah. Uh, you, you lived, but only because you were then eventually killed by Lynch So we're, we're going to get to the the big stuff, but really, you know, this was a game that was, you know, our weakest link further damaged by injuries against an incredibly strong Philadelphia Eagles defensive front. And they showed that they absolutely just dominated. I mean, this is what elite talent does to subpar competition and unfortunately, C.J. Beathard, you know, just was the the, end, the butt end of that joke. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't even like, you know, t- talking about C.J. Beathard doing poorly. It was like watching Alabama play some like shit ass FCS school in week one. Right. And just kick the living shit out of them. Like that was basically what we were watching. The there University with the, of the offensive North, line, defensive line. The University of North Texas has feelings, too. I don't care. <laughs> um, it, it was just, yeah, it was, it was just a brutal situation to be in. So you feel for the guy, um, you know, obviously he's going to still have to go out there and, uh, you know, play for at least a couple more weeks. You would presume. dead man walking. Um, and, and so we'll, we'll talk about him a little bit more. I think, uh, you know, maybe in the Arizona section, but yeah, it was just a kind of a brutal, brutal day at the office for him. I think on the positive side of this game and, and which was something that I was, uh, actually really surprised about when I started watching it. So, um, again, for those of you, I think we mentioned it before, uh, or I mentioned it before on the podcast, but I don't generally watch the games live. I don't watch the broadcast generally. So it's usually we get together, uh, on, on Tuesday night and that's when I watch the game for the first time, essentially. Um, and so it, it was something where you see the score, right. Uh, and we talked about this kind of having the potential to be a bloodbath going into it. And you're expecting with what that final looked like, you know, for this to just be a complete nightmare, um, in, in all phases. And so when I watched the defense, I was kind of pleasantly surprised. I thought they, 
uh, played really, really well for most of this game for like almost three quarters, uh, basically up until the point uh, of the Akella Witherspoon uh, interception. Like I thought they played incredibly well considering the circumstances. The 49ers had 13 total drives and on those 13 drives, they forced six three and outs. And that's if you count Akella Witherspoon's interception, which is pretty good. In the first half, the Niners allowed only 3.7 yards per play. On on average, across the league, no team averages under four. So the Niners, on a per-play basis, were holding the Philadelphia Eagles pretty pretty well. They only had 28 yards rushing in the first half. Uh, I mean, you think about what the score was in the third quarter, and it was 7-20, to 20, and that's with a pick six. So if you think of kind of points the defense led up, it was 7-13. They were playing well into the third quarter, well enough to win. It just kind of fell apart there at the end at the end of the game once things just started getting a little out of hand because one score is going to automatically put or basically put you up 27 to, to seven. And that's when you just start beginning to tee off and things get out of hand. Yeah, I mean, the wheels fell off definitely there there towards the end. But I mean, you look at uh, even in that first half. Right. So, of course, the points, you know, that they get off the pick six. But uh, even the 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 drive that they had right before that, where they got the offensive touchdown, um, you know, that's a drive where they're set up with great field position because of a, a, a bad punt by Pinion. Um, so they're starting at midfield. Essentially, I think they started that drive at the 44 yard line. And then you, you still have them in third and 15 and you you get a, a pass interference call on Dante Johnson, the end zone, which, you know, get why they called it. You know, it's it's a tough one to argue with, but it was it was kind of borderline. I think you, that's also a, a play that you would see let go at times, right, where you kind of get the guy coming around there and. and uh, knocking the pass away as long as you don't get that tug on with his backhand on the jersey. That's a, a play that you'll see let go sometimes. So kind of a bad break there. That sets him up the one-yard line for the touchdown. So uh, outside of that, really, I mean, they they played very well. The run defense, um, and again, this is all considering the fact that they're on the road. They're playing an offense that uh, had been playing incredibly well up to that point in the season uh, and, and really seemed to be clicking. And they're doing it with you know without a lot of their guys on defense. Uh, guys that they continued to lose in this game as it's going on, right? You lose Jimmy Ward, you lose Solomon Thomas uh, as this is all going on. So I think when you put all that together, um, it was it was pretty impressive. One of the other things that we think is one is that we're going to need to learn to pronounce. Uh, we, we call him Legger, but his his name is pronounced Lige uh, Lige Doosable, yep. which immediately catapults to top of the all name list for this year. I mean, Lige. Lee J. Doosable, and we'll get to the spotlight player because that's going to be another all-name player as well. But uh, Lee J. Doosable notched two sacks and had three run stops earned an overall grade of 77 based on Pro Football Focus's charting. This is a guy that we signed off the street a couple weeks ago just because we needed depth at the defensive line position. And we may have found a depth player, like a depth role player. And, and that's awesome. That's really, really good. And he's really stepped up to play. Solomon Thomas is continuing another really, really good season. Justice Mosqueda, who do, who's been doing defensive line stuff and edge four stuff for a long time, has ranked Thomas as the second best rookie defensive end after Miles Garrett uh, on the midseason rookie watch. A lot of people are harping on Solomon Thomas because like, oh, he doesn't have sack numbers. And we passed on Derek Barnett or we passed on these other guys that are pay- playing a more traditional edge spot and are playing in some cases spot roles. Um, you know, there are a lot of things that Solomon Thomas is doing very, very well. And when you do begin to pick apart his game, yes, it's not perfect. He looks like, you know, a 21, 22 year old rookie, but man, he is able to do some really, really good stuff. Uh, and he's also got some solid pressure numbers to back it up as well. So I think Solomon Thomas has been playing well. We've been able to get guys off the street. Leon Hall was only targeted once in 18 snaps. Uh, even the guys that we're plugging in are seeming to do a little something, something. So it, it's overall, I think the defense played well. The offense was a train wreck because the offensive line, you know, was basically a wet tissue. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, and you've got 33 to 10. That's yeah. I mean, that's pretty much it. Yeah. I think, uh, the, the thing with, with Deusable is, well, I guess one last note on him, um, was he had the two sacks and I think, you know, that rightfully gets a lot of attention. Uh, to me, he was far more impressive in the run game. Like the sacks, you know, one of them, uh, was kind of more cleanup duty, right? Buckner is, is the one I think that did a lot of the damage there. Just quite couldn't bring the, the quarterback down. Uh, and then he's able to, you know, Deusable's able to come in there and, and mop things up. Uh, you know, the other one a little bit more impressive, but he was doing really, really good work in the run game pretty consistently. Um, you know, I just saw like there was a play that I tweeted out actually earlier today um, where, you know, you see him uh, effectively. He gets reached initially by the left tackle outside zone played his direction. And and you just see him kind of fight back across the, the block, right him right down the line of scrimmage. Doesn't get blown off the ball. It's not like Earl Mitchell where he's five, six yards off the line of scrimmage by the time the ball carrier is getting to him. 
is able to maintain the line of scrimmage there, come off and make a tackle, uh, you know, for, for no gain there. So things like that, that were just really impressive that, um, you know, maybe didn't quite jump out as much as the sacks. Uh, that was, I thought, the best part of his game. So let's get to the spotlight player then, because the spotlight player is going to be one of the better rivals preseason favorites, and that's going to be Akilah Witherspoon. He has now earned a starting role, especially now that Rashard Robinson's been traded. Uh, he had an 88.1 overall grade. That was the third-ranked cornerback on Pro Football Focus's, uh, on this week's Pro Football Focus's charting. He has 35 cover snaps, eight targets, only allowed three receptions, and had one interception. And that interception, he ex- displayed some fantastic fluidity to stay on top of a route that he that many cornerbacks just don't stay on top of, all because he had a very, very good technique, uh, and he's got very, very good feet. And he was able to execute a, a very, very good speed turn that put him in position to get a ball, and, and he did. He capitalized. I, I mean, this is the thing. Like This is the one play, if you had to pick one, that, that kind of epitomizes the difference between uh, Witherspoon and Robinson, right? Robinson, because I, th- I think a lot of people view them similarly, right? They're taller guys, a little bit lankier. We're kind of undersized coming out of college. You, you know, you, you think about them needing to add some strength and um, but then playing similar roles on defense, being better at the line of scrimmage. This is the thing that separates Witherspoon in my mind. And, and it's that athleticism, uh, that fluidity that you mentioned there, because you don't see Robinson do these things, right? If Robinson loses generally at the line of scrimmage, um, he's in a bad spot. Like he he generally isn't able to recover from that. You know, and he, he doesn't do as good of a job, um, you know, sticking with guys through the break point right at the top of the route there when they're making that that break at, you know, 15 yards like we saw on this route. And and he kind of gets lost in those areas sometimes. So with Witherspoon, it was interesting to me because usually you see this the other way. Usually you see a guy with his hips kind of facing in towards the quarterback a little bit uh, playing what you usually call like the half turn. So he's kind of he's not really backpedaling. He's facing the quarterback a little bit, moving backwards. And then for any outbreaking routes, you do that flip, right? You kind of roll outside, break on the outbreaking route, because really you're expecting more. There's more routes that are going to break inside. So that's why you kind of play like that. So this was kind of the the inverse of that, which was a little strange to see uh, on tape, I guess, because uh, it's just kind of out of the ordinary. But um, yeah, I mean, he, he obviously did an excellent job with it. And it's just like that ability to immediately snap, make that break, get on top of the route and be in a position to make a play on the ball. Like this was the stuff that he did at Colorado that that made him such an enticing prospect. And this is, of course, a rookie that has been playing well in limited snaps so far. Hopefully he can continue. But you look at the draft class that the 49ers have put together this year under Lynch and Shanahan. And this article that Justice Mosqueda was a part of where he ranked Solomon Thomas as the best, the the second best rookie DE basically had like a midseason rookie watch where they do an NFL top 1000 where they have a lot of people who do a lot of football scouting put together who they think the best rookies are in the middle of the year. And the 49ers had several names on this list in the top 25 overall. So 25 best rookies at the midseason point. They had Solomon Thomas, who was 13th overall, and Reuben Foster, who was 21st overall. Reuben Foster was the top inside linebacker. Solomon Thomas was the second defensive end. You have Matt Breida, who was running back nine. Trent Taylor, who was the fourth best wide receiver. And George Kittle, who was the second best tight end. And this is a, a tight end class, of course, that's got like O.J. Howard and David Njoku. You've got players that were very, very highly touted. And this is not to say that their career trajectories are going to continue in this way. And George Kill is going to be the second best tight end in this class. But to have a solid core set of players that you drafted that are performing well and performing early, it's not something you're used to in San Francisco. And, and this is the kind of <laughs> – I mean – You've got what, yeah. like, how many people from uh, Balky's last draft class are left? I think two are on IR, uh, and Robinson I mean, was the last one that just got it's, traded. It's Buckner, who everybody, we're just about all collectively to a point where Buckner, he wasn't really a Balky guy. We're just yeah. going to. I'm just going to kind of pretend that that didn't happen. Yeah. Chip Kelly must have picked that guy. <laughs> yep. That was a Chip Kelly pick. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So, I mean, this is it's a good, solid nucleus. And who knows what's going to happen with the rest of, of the, their career arc. But it's good to see those bright spots early on. It's good to see those rookies flash early uh, because that, that means that what, what you worry about is the opposite. You worry about your rookie just completely not flashing at all and not showing any kind of promise yeah. early on. And so hopefully they only go up from there. But that's all the time we're going to spend on the game because we got to get to Garapalooza. It, it's going to be it, man. Okay, so I, I text <laughs> I text you, David. I got the notification on my phone. Yeah. Literally, my first reaction was, holy shit. I tweeted it out, yeah. literally. 
and I sent you a text, and it was like they traded their second round pick for Jimmy Garoppolo. He's been apparently he's been a target for a while. The team, the 49ers, wanted to get something done in the offseason, but it never materialized. And Belichick was now was like, I don't know, we're probably not like we're probably not gonna be able to get anything for him. This is the last go. Let's go ahead and, and pull the trigger. What was your first initial impression when you heard this? Uh shit. Like <laughs> it was different different from a holy shit surprise, you know, the viewer reaction. Um mine was so my initial reaction was not favorable. And I think that comes from a couple of places. And and I think it's important to note also that we're going to get to all of the reasons why this has changed a little bit. And, and I uh, do not have that sort of negative. No, reaction no. Send, it, send them your tweets right now. Um, send them what you're feeling right, right now at Newman NFL. Tell uh, them how you're feeling right now. So I was, yeah, I was, I was kind of pissed because um, one at, at that point we didn't have, we didn't know compensation. Right. And so I'm thinking, uh, you know, I'm basically expecting all the things that I would, my natural reaction from the previous regime, which is like, this clearly was poor. This was bad. This is a, a bad thing that happened. Um, and it was like, I was never one that was on board with uh, wanting to get him before, you know, especially considering what you expected to give up in compensation. Um, and it was just like, I really had kind of started to buy into the idea of, I want to draft a guy at the top of the draft. That's going to be our guy, right? That's, this is, he hasn't been with anybody else. Like this is the player that we're going to draft and groom. Shanahan's going to do his thing. All 49ers. He's going to retire a 49er. Everything's going to be great. Right. Uh, and so I kind of wanted that. Um, and so I think my initial reaction to that going away was not good. Uh, it, 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 it wasn't great, but I, I think we've, uh, we've come around the more thought through it and, and you kind of go through all the pieces now that we have more information yeah i think uh i think uh it worked out pretty well we're yeah get for me for me it wasn't bad for me it was an initial state of shock because it was like holy hell immediately i thought to myself okay shanahan must really be unhappy with bethard at this point we didn't know that that they had put the offer on the table earlier and that now belichick just kind of wanted to jump on it so i thought whoa this is a huge indictment on what he thinks about hoyer and bethard like, is Shanahan a little impulsive? Like, is he just going to be like, Let, give me a goddamn quarterback. I need someone <laughs> who can throw the goddamn ball. My offense is going to waste. Yeah. Um, you know, I thought all those things. And then you, you get the report that it's like it's just a second rounder. And and it's like, okay. I mean, it's a second round. It's likely a high second rounder. And and that kind of – it kind of sucks because it's, you know, it's a talented draft class. And you, you think you can put that to good use. But when you think about the compensation that most other teams have given when trading for quarterbacks, you're like – it may not be that bad. I mean, Cutler in 2009, he they, they traded a first, a third, and a first, which ended up being the 18th overall pick, the 84th overall pick, and the 11th overall pick for Jay fucking Cutler. Um, incidentally, one of those picks was actually then traded to the Niners, and they got Anthony Davis for that pick. Yeah, look at that. Yeah. Uh, and then you've got Clipboard Jesus, Charlie Whitehurst, Charlie Whitehurst in 2010. Best nickname, I think. Ever. Uh, yeah, in the last at least the five best. to ten years. Uh, so you've got Clipboard Jesus... Uh, they really swapped some picks, uh, and then Seattle basically dropped 20 spots, and uh, they got a third-round pick. Alex Smith, of course, uh, two second-round picks. It was event- it was first a second and a third, ended up being two seconds. And then Carson Palmer was traded for a first and a second, and that fool was retired. And, like, maybe had <laughs> yeah. half a leg. And we had no idea that he was going to, like, ever turn no. into anything good again. And like, really, he, he they did it for bad. one season. Like, yeah. he, he was good for, like, a season and a half, and that was it. Yeah. And and they gave up a first and a second for it. And now he's basically, you know, like a Lego man that you've lost a couple Lego pieces. And you're like, I don't know if I'm going to make you whole again. Yeah, I think he's done. Yeah. Um, but so so all in all, that compensation's not terrible. Like a second round pick. The Browns were going to give up a second <laughs> and a third for A.J. McCarron if they put down their champagne flutes long enough to let the league know they wanted to trade someone. Uh, when you throw that lens on it, everything looks great, right? Uh, <laughs> man, a second and a third for AJ McCarron. I think I would have, uh, we wouldn't be doing this right now either because no. I'd be like curled up in a corner drunk somewhere or I don't know. Um, it, it's yeah, I think a second round pick for somebody who does, I think have a legitimate chance at becoming a franchise quarterback, right? If things break right, that could happen. I think it's important to say, uh, that we don't know that he's that at this point, right? I think there was kind no. of this universal um, reaction uh, among a lot of people that's like, this is excellent. This is a match made in heaven with Shanahan. He's going to be great. Everything's amazeballs. Um, and it's like, while that, you know, all may be uh, true to, to a degree, like we don't know what he is at this point. And, and it's, I think, important to bring that up. Um, but yeah, I mean, a second round pick, are you really not going to feel this good about, a quarterback that you would have taken in the draft in the second round. Right? Correct. So 
I think, yeah, when, when you consider that and you look at the big picture from a compensation standpoint of, uh, you know, the extra picks that we got from the Solomon Thomas trade uh, and, and the fact that we still have four selections in the first three rounds, um, the, the fact that we could still do some things with that first overall pick now, um, I, I think you start getting into to stuff where this looks, um, you know, where you may not give up a whole lot at all for him. And I think that to me is the most exciting part. And we were talking about it a little bit before the show, David, the flexibility that giving you that this gives you is really, really probably the most advantageous thing is because we're not right now. We're not locked into taking a quarterback yeah. at the top of the first round, which we will end up with a, what looks like a top three pick at this point. And and not having to get a quarterback allows you to more than likely maybe get the best non-quarterback player in the draft, whatever that may be, which is great. It allows you to trade down for a team that is going to be super quarterback needy. And when you trade down out of one of the top three spots for a quarterback, you know that you're going to like you. You basically got them by the balls. Good things happen. That's right. You you, you have. I mean, when yeah. you look at those deals in recent history. The team that trades down gets a, a king's ransom, yep. and that is what this team needs. They need that king ransom. So even if Garoppolo, even if we sign Garoppolo to you know a, a new contract, which we'll talk about what that could look like in a second, even if we do send him a new contract and he does not pan out in three years, that still allows us to build a really, really good team and go and get a quarterback somewhere else. Um, and, and then and maybe it's in that situation that a quarterback like a Brian Hoyer is going to, you know, Trent Dilfer his way into a Super Bowl, right? Who knows? But but this is this is good strategically in the draft, and it doesn't cost a whole hell of a lot given the draft capital we already have. Definitely, I, I think it's hard to, um, you know, if they're not going to just sit there and and take a quarterback, you know, number one, number two overall, whatever they end up with uh, in the draft, and, and you're going to go get your quarterback elsewhere. I, I have a difficult time envisioning a more realistic, like a, a realistic scenario that could happen that is better in terms of compensation than what they gave up here. Like you're just not going to, if you give up anything less than this, you're not getting a guy that's worth it. Um, and if you give up more than this, you're, you're probably putting your team in a bad spot, you know, from a draft pick standpoint, it makes it difficult to surround that player then with, with good talent. So uh, I, I think, yeah, what they were able to, to pull off by doing this for only a second rounder is, is pretty good. All right, so let's talk contract because this is, of course, the last year of his rookie deal. So you have got to either sign him to a, a long-term deal, as I love to say on the Reddits, or you're going to franchise him, and the franchise tag comes in somewhere between 24 $26 million, which is probably less than what Washington is going to have to pay Kirk Cousins if they franchise him for a third time. <laughs> God. <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, but you've got, you've got Matt Stafford. He basically is the gold standard, top of the line in terms of money for a quarterback. He's signed a five-year, $135 million extension, $50 million signing bonus, uh, and his base salaries are guaranteed in 2017 and 2018. Uh, the cap hits per year in the 26 to $31 million range, which is just astronomical. Not used to those numbers quite yet, but <laughs> I better be. You, um, the dead money doesn't really become palatable until 2021. Kirk Cousins would have commanded a deal in this range. Like, this is Kirk Cousins' money, basically. Yep. That's what we would have probably needed to have paid Kirk Cousins. But then you've got Brock Osweiler. He signed a four-year, $72 million deal with $37 million guaranteed. And he was a guy who was, you know, kind of had a little bit of positive tape and was looking for a second contract. And he was able to parlay that into some some good money. And you've got Mike Glennon, who had a three-year, $45 million deal, $18.5 million guaranteed, with a $3 million signing bonus, never more than $15 million in cap hit in all three years of his deal. Mike the Neck Glennon. That guy, he looks like a whole neck. His whole body is just, just one big neck. <laughs> uh, I mean, I can't argue with that. Yeah. <laughs> You're not wrong at all. Um, yeah, so I think the interesting thing here from the contract perspective, right, is, is the two paths that you alluded to there. So it, it really comes down to are they going to sign him to an extension as soon as possible and, and try to get that done um, really before we have a decent idea of what Garoppolo is going to become as a player? Um, or do you play, uh, you know, maybe the safer game, which is we're not going to give an extension right now. We're going to give him a franchise tag next year, which, you know, in, in a cap situation where it's not going to hurt us to do so. Um, and you're not, you know, taking any sort of long-term risk by doing that. So it gives you an opportunity um, with another year for this this new regime to kind of 
turn over more of the roster, get more of their guys in there, get some of these, you know, another offseason for these young guys to develop. Hopefully you're in a, a better situation to put your quarterback in next season. And so you can really get a better idea of what he's going to be. Uh, and then there you either, you know, have the, the chance if he comes in and he's not what you hoped, you can cut bait and you're not, you know, again, putting yourself at any sort of long term uh, detriment there by signing him to a big deal. Um, or if he comes in and, and he is exactly what you thought he's going to be and you're ready to lock him up long term, well, then you're probably giving him Matthew Stafford money after that. So it's it's kind of a situation where if you feel very, very confident in the player that you got and you think you're right and man, you really hope to be right. Uh, the, the move is to sign him to an extension right now because the extension that you would sign him to now is almost certainly going to be significantly less than that Matt Stafford money, right? So that's a better thing if you can do it and hit. All of a sudden, you have now a valuable asset that's underpaid immediately. Um, but if you're wrong, then you know that ties you up, right? Then you're kind of in a bad spot in a couple of years um, because you're still paying this quarterback money um, even though he's either not on your roster or he's not performing... Uh, you know, to that level. So it's it's a difficult kind of situation a little bit. I'm not sure. I, I, I think you can make a strong case for either one. I don't have like a strong preference right now, but that's kind of the situation that they find themselves in. I get the sense that the team is leaning towards that wait and see. At least that's what they've said publicly in the press. They're like, there's no, no deal is imminent, as Ian Rappaport said on Twitter. Yep. However, I, I think that may be a bit of a that may be a bit of a negotiation ploy only because if you trade a second rounder for the guy and the first thing you do is you're like, hey, you want to sign a long term deal? Like he knows he's got a lot of leverage. Yeah. Right. Like that's that's basically like kissing a girl goodnight at the end of a date and then texting her before she gets to her car. <laughs> like it's a little needy. A little needy. Back dude. up a little bit. Right. So I do think that they'll probably start to see how he integrates himself in with the offense and then kind of go from there. I don't think money is an option, really. The Niners have so much cap space rolled over that they can drop a lot of money up yeah. front. And if it doesn't work out in a year or two, it's not that big of a deal. And I think with the types of contracts that we've negotiated, I mean, the types of guaranteed salaries that we put into contracts and the kind of roster bonuses and rollover bonuses, like those are, I don't even know that rollover bonuses are a thing. Those might be like minutes. But yeah. roster bonuses uh, and... And guaranteed salary is definitely a thing. And that's how you can still get a quarterback seemingly a huge contract, even though from year to year, it's not all that bad. And Prague Marate is really good at making contracts like that. So I don't think the team is going to put themselves in that kind of position, even if they do sign him to a huge blockbuster deal. Isn't it kind of funny, just as a, a, a very quick aside, that uh, in hindsight now, um, all of our favorite parts of Trent Balky were actually Pragmarate. Yeah. And so when you get rid of him, you get rid of all the bad parts, but we actually got to keep all the good yeah. parts that we liked. But he was a grinder, man. Um, he was a grinder. So that's, that's just kind of a fun I really that hope I that recently. he brought his lunch pail to work every day. Every day. Every single day. Hard hat, too. <laughs> um, where were we? Uh, so, so talking about, yeah, the contracts, right? So, um, yeah, I, I think... The wait and see approach makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, again, considering the the fact that the franchise tag isn't a big deal for them next year. Um, you know, the and then if you if suddenly it works out, right? So if you go that direction and and he is a he ends up being a very good player and he's the quarterback that you want to be there long term, you know, you do end up paying a little bit more money, you know, if you look at okay, what what would they have paid him in a three, four year span, right? First three, four seasons that he's there, like that total is going to be higher if you go that direction. Um, but that's not really a big deal. Like that just makes you now you're one of the other teams that has a good quarterback and has to pay him a lot of money. And that's just kind of how it works like that. That's a situation you ultimately want to be in. So it's not you want to have to pay a quarterback. Right. So it, it's not really that uh, that big of a deal. It's not a huge downside going that direction, even if, you know, if you you kind of take more risk and you you give him that extension earlier and then it hits and you turn out to be right. Like that's a better move uh move from a cap standpoint like it's it's just not a big deal either direction i think but let's let's tackle the elephant in the room because you've got all this you know compensation worked out the contract may not be a big deal you know we've got a quarterback yay hurrah that doesn't look like the lead singer of nickelback but now the question is is he any good like is jimmy garoppolo actually a good quarterback because the the brady backup history is not littered with superstars you have Matt Castle. He was traded for a second-round pick, 34th don't you, overall. Don't you forget about Brian Hoyer, the original. Oh, the, the OG. The, the OG, who's now come full circle. 
Time is a flat disc. <laughs> oh, Time is God. a flat disc. And he has now signed a three-year deal to back up Brady. Uh, but you've got uh, Matt Castle traded to the Chiefs for a second-round pick, very similar to this. Matt Castle, of course, not a functional quarterback, although he's had a long, illustrious career holding a clipboard and growing a beard, incidentally, probably written into his contract. Ryan Mallett, conditional six or seven-round pick. He ended up playing like he was traded for a conditional six or, <laughs> or seventh-round pick. Jacoby Brisket, Mr. Brissett, he was traded for Philip Dorsett. A uh, lot of double T's in that name. Brissett for Dorset. Anyway, uh, he's arguably the best quarterback of those three, and he's. Eh, eh. You're not. You're not pumped about having uh, eh. Old Brisket as your quarterback. Yeah. yeah. So you know, is this the the worry here? And I think the concern of a lot of 49ers fans is, is this just Bill Belichick being Bill Belichick and fleecing a team with another backup quarterback that's effectively vaporware? That's going to not turn into much of anything, and he's going to take that second-round pick and turn it into an edge rusher and then win a Super Bowl. So I think the the, the key difference, and it's really hard. Like They're all different situations. They're different players, right, um, going to different situations after they leave New England. Um, there's a lot of other factors there that just really aren't related, and it's hard to kind of tie all those things together. Um, if there was a sort of Patriots backup quarterback lie that they somehow managed uh, to, to, to just fleece everybody else with. It was the, the fact that they were turning these unheralded prospects, right? These guys that came undrafted or late round picks, and they were just basically the only good quality that they apparently had was being drafted late, sitting under Brady and Belichick for a couple years, and then, hey, now you want a quarterback? And, like, that was it. That That's the only thing that they had going for them was – the Patriots. And I think in, easy bake oven for quarterbacks. Yeah. And I think with Garoppolo, it's a different you know situation. He was somebody that a lot of people liked coming out of college. He was a second round pick. Um, you know, he's the player that they invested the most resources in um, not only initially, but also to try and keep it right. I think they made they made more of an effort to keep Jimmy Garoppolo around when they could have gotten rid of him. Um, well, for, originally, for the, the Niners made an offer to trade for him and they were, according to the story, they were rebuffed immediately. It was like yeah. no dice, no deal. And apparently that happened often because a lot of people made overtures to try and trade for Jimmy Garoppolo. And and they were the Patriots were like, no, not going to happen. Um, yeah. And I think it's probably because they had no idea what was going to happen with Brady. Was he going to fall off yeah. that quarterback cliff? Was he going to be the same Brady? Who knows? I think now they've seen, you know, a season enough of Brady and they're like, yeah, he's he's still Brady and he's going to yeah. do Brady things. And so, you know, we know that we've got at least another year or two in him. So now it's time to take the second round pick put it in another quarterback and write it out another four <laughs> years of a rookie quarterback deal. Yeah, seriously. I, I mean, yeah, they, they reached a point with Garoppolo where they just had to make a decision. I mean, you heard Belichick kind of talk about it, right? Like he almost said a, a, a lot of his, a lot of his stuff about getting rid of Garoppolo was kind of like begrudging, right? Like I just, everything like, he says is begrudging. I mean, fair, but it was just like, I don't know. It, it, it was, it, it seemed like a different situation, right? It was, it was basically more, it was going to quickly become untenable to keep both him and Brady on the roster. Uh, and they had to do something. They couldn't just like the worst thing that they could have done is do nothing now and let him walk in the offseason. You get absolutely nothing in return. You, you, you had a player on your roster for four years. He gave you two games, right? Like that's just not something that, that Belichick is going to be happy with at the end of the day. So that's why you kind of make the move. Cause it, by all accounts, like it seems to be a move that it was initiated by Belichick, right? By the Patriots, they're they the ones out. that made the yeah. call uh, and was like, hey, you want to get something done? So, um, yeah, I, I think apparently it's just, the Browns didn't even know that Garoppolo was on the table. Oh, yeah. I saw those. The the Albright emails. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds like a like something that a president gets arrested for. Like the Albright emails. Like, oh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but anyway, so. All right. So is is he any good? Like, so you went back and watched all of his preseason or his uh, his games, game and a quarter, game and a half or whatever yeah. it was. Yep. Um, and, and I didn't watch all those. I watch a little bit of, of the film cutups, but what is it that he does well that you're like, okay, this is why people are excited about him. So I think the first thing that kind of stood out to me is, is how well he seems to process things, right? Kind of how, uh, quickly he moves through his progressions and like makes decisions, like gets the ball out of his hands quickly, knows where to go with the football. Um, like all of that stuff from, from a mental standpoint really seemed to be pretty strong. And, uh, I, I think that's maybe the one concern that you have right away, right? Is he came essentially from an offense. Like he mentioned in college, he didn't even have a playbook, 
Like at Eastern Illinois, they didn't even have a playbook. They ran a very um, Baylor-esque type system, which was, you know, old Baylor, um, which is like not a system at all, right? As far as the court, it, it's, it's one of the things like, a lot gets made that, that isn't really, that's kind of exaggerated about that college transition and going to the pros and different systems. Like this is no joke. Like it's just not even remotely similar. You're not making uh, play calls. You're like not really making reads on the field. So he goes from that to getting to spend three years, you know, with the Patriots learning that system, which is, is obviously kind of a more complex system. They like to change things up all the time, be able to do uh, you know, kind of whatever they need to for that week to be able to win. And you saw him handle all of that very well, right? You saw him go on the road in Arizona in that first week and, and play pretty well. You know, you didn't see a ton of great throws. Like, there wasn't a lot of wow plays or anything like that. But um, he did what was there, right? You think of the Patriots' offense, and it's they go about it a different way, but it's not dissimilar to Kyle Shanahan's offense And that they create opportunities, right? They create opportunities for their guys um, to be able to make plays after the catch, do a lot of short stuff. And you see him just consistently be able to find those guys, put the ball in a good spot uh, and, and kind of keep the offense on schedule, which is a hell of a lot more than we've been able to get at quarterback, you know, for yep. the, for the last several years there. So I think that's kind of thing. Number one, and a reason, you know, that you should definitely be excited about him getting to work with Kyle Shanahan. So one of the things that I noticed was his feet and his base. One of the, the there was a book I read recently. Uh, I think it was by Bruce, Bruce Feldman. It was the art of the, the art of building the QB now, a yeah. couple of years ago. And there's a lot of there's a lot in there from Trent Dilfer and, you know, the TDFB or whatever the hell is four letter, you know, quarterback building thing is. But one of the chapters that was super interesting was one where they talked about quarterback mechanics and their base and how it's really helpful for them to have a wide base. We talked about it with Colin Kaepernick, how he used to have a very, very narrow base. And it wasn't until later in his career when he tried to figure out how to learn to navigate a pocket running right away. And when you look at the throws that Garoppolo has made that are that are big time throws that are really high degree kind of difficulty or high, highly difficult throws, he exhibits those traits. He's able to keep a wide base. He's got his hands on the ball. He's shifting. He's slipping. He's moving up. He's stepping and he's throwing on target with a really, really quick release. And it's that pocket awareness that we don't see from the CJ Bethards of the world that we don't see even from Brian Hoyer, who would bail super early when there was no pressure. And he would run and just throw the thing away. And you're like, what the hell? There was someone breaking open on a seam or breaking open on a post. And that's what Garoppolo exhibits in the pocket where you're like, okay, you you are actually able to win from the pocket, which is something that quarterbacks have to do very well and not something that we've seen quarterbacks do exceptionally well in San Francisco for a bit. Definitely. And I, I think... Um if there, if there's one thing that he took away right from new England, like, and, and this isn't like by no means a comparison, not saying that this means anything for, for how he's going to perform in the future. But if he took one thing away from his new England, it's those Tom Brady movement skills, right? Like it's kind of weird at first when you first see him drop back a couple times and you're like, Holy shit, that kind of just looks like Brady. Like just the way that he moves, the way that he drops back some of the same type of mannerisms, are there. It's like, okay, yeah, this is clearly somebody that has been going through these same motions with Tom Brady for, you know, going on four seasons now. I didn't notice it until I noticed that he hops up on one foot. Yeah. When he when he hits the back of his yep. drop, he hops up on one foot and it's so weird. It's it's like I've I've seen that before. That looks oddly familiar. I've seen a giraffe do that. I've seen Tom <laughs> Brady do it. Oh God. And and so I think yeah that was was a big thing. So the other two things and this these are things just I think with quarterback play that we've talked about quite a bit, but, but a couple of areas that I think are really important, right. in determining how well a quarterback is ultimately going to be long-term and they have to do, uh, they have to be able to be able to perform under pressure, right? It's just a reality of playing quarterback in the NFL is you're going to be pressured. You're going to be pressured pretty consistently in most, uh, you know, with most teams, most offensive on average, about 30% of the time. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's something that you have to deal with and it's going to happen in key moments a lot, right? So you have to be able to deal with that and, and be able to move within the pocket and keep your eyes downfield and still make throws right with guys around you. And that was something, the tough thing with, with Garoppolo in general, right? Is that we don't, we haven't seen him do it a lot, right? You see a couple plays there where you're like, okay, I like how we handled this situation. Um, and, and this was all really good, but only getting to see him do it, you know, across it was we're talking 70 dropbacks in that game and a half before he got hurt. It's like you just don't get a, a a big sample of being able to see him repeatedly and consistently do this. Right. But first you see him move. You see, you know, a lot of the things that you talked about there with the base and be able to move subtly in the pocket. 
all of that stuff helps him under pressure. And so I thought that um, was an area that I was encouraged by. Um, and the other thing is being able to make off schedule throws, right? If you're somebody that can only work really within the framework of the offense, right? You're, you're Brian Hoyer, I guess, you know, and maybe Brian Hoyer couldn't even do that sometimes, but we talked about peak Brian Hoyer being able to sit there in the pocket, take the throws that Kyle Shanahan has schemed open for him and get the ball in an area where the receiver can get his hands on it, right? That's kind of your baseline in order to be a quarterback in the NFL. You have to be able to do that. Um, what really starts to separate, I mean, Brady right now is the only quarterback that I think you see not really make off schedule throws all that often, right? You think about the guys that are playing really well right now at quarterback, you know, guys like Aaron Rodgers, obviously before he got hurt forever, um, players like Russell Wilson, um, even like Roethlisberger when he's been playing well, uh, you know, even some of the young guys like Deshaun Watson, it's all the ability to, when things break down, I can extend the play and still make something happen for my team, right? I can still create something positive out of something that looks negative. Um, and I think that's the, an, an area that he looks to be really good in because he does move around there a lot better. You know, he's, he's an athletic dude that can uh, kind of scramble around and, and be able to buy time and, and make some of those throws on the move. So I thought those were two areas that I think are really important for quarterback play right now in the NFL um, that I'm encouraged by what we've seen from him uh, again in, in limited dropbacks so far. Other than sample size, other than the fact that we've only seen it in limited snaps and we're kind of going off of hype. Is there anything that you see or saw in his play that gives you a uh, pause that gives you a bit of a red flag where you're like, uh, I hope that's not a thing. Um, it's not even that. So he didn't really, you know, make a lot of poor throws, which was the nice thing. Right. So I think, um, it, you're not worried about him. Like with Bethard, it was like, man, the, the turnovers are coming, right? He's leaving the ball locations bad. He's leaving him in bad spots. Like that's going to come back and bite him here soon. Um, it wasn't like that. I think maybe what you worry about is the, the lack of, uh, uh, of, I guess we'll call, I hate using this term, but like lack of arm talent, right. To be able to make the high end throws, like to make what we've been calling, you know, the big time throws in, in PFF parlance, um, to be able to make those, those big downfield throws and in, in tight windows, um, you know, on the move, even something like that, like the, the, the throws that you see from your top end quarterbacks that really separate them. I don't know that we've seen that from him at all. Like there, there haven't really been any throws, even some of his better throws. You, you don't really have like that kind of like, holy shit, what just happened there? You know, type of reaction to him. Um, you know, he makes good throws, but they're, they're kind of all within structure uh, or what's, what's there, right? Like um, they're, they're not, I don't know. I don't even know how he to doesn't, put it. Just he like doesn't have that uh, Deshaun Watson quality is what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, the, the Watson, the Rodgers quality of, of being able to kind of go and just make these, um, you know, throw guys open, essentially. Like, make plays that aren't really there. Like, uh, and that to me is different, which I guess it probably sounds like it's a little conflicting to the off-schedule stuff. Um, by off-schedule, I just mean, like, being able to, when, it, when it breaks down, yeah, right, play breaks down, and find something. being able to scramble out, find somebody open, a little bit different from making you know, throws in those situations to guys that are covered, right? And basically throwing them open, throwing in a spot where only your guy can get it and no one else. Um, you know, most quarterbacks in those situations, they're going to throw it away. They're going to, you know, throw it or, or they try to put it in that spot and it's inaccurate and it gets thrown out of bounds anyway, yeah. right? They can't quite pull off those those really high-end throws. That's the thing that I just... I, we just haven't really seen it, and so I don't know if he's capable of doing that. If you want a good example of a rookie quarterback um, making the kinds of throws that we're talking about, look at or go watch, just because it's a really, really fun game, the Seattle-Houston game from this past week uh, with Deshaun Watson basically dunking on uh, a couple of really, really amazing yeah. defensive backs. And like Wilson, too. Wilson in that game. Like, that was just a great game. Yeah. To, like to get, If you want to watch the type of throws yeah, that we're talking about right there, like just watch that game again because yeah. um, they're, they're all over the that place. That game might be, maybe. Uh, I mean, uh, the, up to now, it's the game of the year. It might be the game of the year even after the rest of the season. Yeah. But so the last question then is, when is Garoppolo going to start? And Sage Rosenfelds did a really, really good story for Vice News where he talked about all the intricacies that went into going from being signed to starting for a team. It's everything from how you huddle, which every coach likes to huddle differently. What's the new language? What are their protections? Everything that you have to learn can't really be learned in a day and or four or seven. Uh, and Garoppolo is going to be the backup quarterback. 
in the next game. We did not sign some scrub rando dude. Um, so he's going to be forced to learn probably like maybe 15 plays. And those are going to be the only plays that they're going to run uh, because he is going to be learning a whole new language. He came from the Earnhardt Perkins system, which uses kind of words for concepts. And he's going to a traditional West Coast system, which is a little bit more verbose, uses some words for concepts, but also tells their primary receiver what to do. So you've got a, a sample play call like Earnhardt Perkins where it's spread right strong, 72 ghost tosser, which is, you know, goes to one side, tosser to the other. It's like double slants and then a stick. West Coast, the almost exact same play is double wing right, B right, 322 scat, Y stick line. So that's almost the exact same play, but it's two completely different things. There's no references of ghosts, no tossers, no sticks, no lions, but they're both referencing nearly the exact same thing from the exact same formation. The only difference is that in the West Coast play, uh, I think the Y receiver is actually tight to the line and not broken out and not spread out. That's the only difference in those two play calls. But those are the exact same concepts, double slant to one side, and then you've got your stick to the other, and yet they sound like two very different things. So even if even if Garoppolo can identify the concept and be like, oh, yeah, I know double slants. I know what that feels like. I know what that looks like. I know stick. I know that's tosser. I know that, that I know what it looks like. I know what it feels like. But that's still not going to be the same as knowing it, calling it, recalling it, knowing your protections, knowing the cadence, knowing the count, and executing all in one you know, very, very short week. It's going to be very difficult. So with all of that kind of preface, two questions. When do you think he starts? And when do you think he should start? Ooh, do I have to answer them in that order? Um, <laughs> I'm going to... So I, I think he should start next year um, is, is when I think uh, the the best time for him to kind of enter the lineup would be is, is just wait until next season. Um, I think he will start after the bye. Um, to me, that makes the most sense. I, I don't think... What Shanahan said, Shanahan's comments kind of, uh, you know, in the presser today was enough to make me think that they're not going to, the goal isn't to rush him out there as soon as possible, right? So, And that quote was a little um, overblown, too, because the news, I think it was Joe Fan that tweeted out a truncated part of the quote that was yeah. like, I can't tell you that he's going to start this year. Yeah, yeah, Everyone picked up on it. But the part right before that was, I don't, I can't guarantee that he'll start this uh, next week. I, it's like, I can't promise that he's not going to play this week. I can't promise that he'll play any at all this year. That's what it was. Yeah, it was, it was something was like that. Yeah, which when you take the whole context of the of that quote, it's yeah. very different than just the second half. Right. <laughs> exactly. Um, but even even then, like he said, you know, there there were several other comments, you know, during that presser, you know, things like we didn't bring Jimmy in here to save this season. You know, he's he did we he, we didn't add him right now to get immediate returns. Right? They just brought him in all, to save the franchise. All yeah, all realistic things. I think they seem to have. Uh, a good idea, which which again is something we've talked about before. But each kind of decision, each move that this this uh, you know Lynchahan makes is just another piece of evidence that we get. And, and I think we keep being surprised that they seem to have um, you know good expectations for these things. They kind of seem to be on the right track. They have realistic expectations about where they are uh, and what they're going to be able to get done. So I think that makes me feel better about him not you know starting against the Giants in two weeks, right? Because nobody, I don't think there's anybody that expected him to come in and start this week against Arizona. Like, that's just completely unreasonable. But if you wanted to be, uh, you know, really eager to get him out there, right, and, and start him before the bye week, that I think would have been a big mistake. Um, and, and so I think they at least have enough sense to give him some time, give him the bye week uh, to really try to get up to speed as much as possible. Uh, and then I think and to they're give probably going to roll with him the rest of the year after that. And to give him an offensive line. Because yeah. that's when Staley yeah, is probably going to come sure. back from getting his eye socket broken. Good Lord. Which, for those of you who don't speak medical, a broken orbital bone is literally a broken eye socket. Yeah, I mean, that it sounds just horrendous. Like, yeah. oh my God, nothing that I ever want to experience ever in my Dude life. Dude got punched. That's usually an injury that you see in motorcycle accidents and boxing, or MMA more specifically. Um, like, that's, that's where you break orbital bones. When someone is literally bludgeoning your face. Which yeah. is basically what happened to Joe Staley, which is unfortunate. It is. Uh, yeah. And, and so, yeah, just again, it makes no, you know, I, I had a bunch of tweets about this earlier, but it's just like, uh, it doesn't make sense to just throw him out there as soon as possible, right? There's nothing yeah. to be gained. They, they seem very committed to him 
being the long-term guy, right? At least that's what the, 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 the kind of front that they want to put up publicly. Um, and so when you, they, they seem committed to him being there, there's no reason then to go out and feel like he has to prove something in just the worst possible situation, right? Like you're going an offensive line that's decimated by injuries that wasn't even, you know, that was a little suspect even when it was fully healthy, you know, and still got, uh, gave up a decent amount of pressure, just completely ravaged right now with injuries. You don't have a consistent run game because of that. Uh, you have a defense that's been ravaged by injuries as well and therefore is is difficult to rely on. So you're playing down uh, and it's just like the worst possible situation for a quarterback to be in week in and week out. Um, and that's just like you're not going to learn a whole lot by putting him out there in those situations. So uh, I think they can be patient. I don't think they'll be as patient as, uh, you know, I think uh, it would be in a perfect situation but a perfect world but um yeah i think we get a couple weeks uh b- before we see him out there all right so despite all of the garapalooza that we've been talking about there's still football to be played feels a bit like the off season talking about new personnel talking about whether yeah. or not they're good but there is still football that's happening next week so let's get to a very quick game preview for the arizona cardinals because we're fating we're fate we're facing the fight and drew stanton's and this is definitely a winnable game. You've got Football Outsiders who says that this is the most winnable game of the remaining games that we have left. Statistically speaking, the Niners are probably going to win a game over the next, you know, several weeks. Yeah. We're, we're on winless watch at this point. <laughs> and Bill Barnwell had a really good article in ESPN where he talked about the log five method for figuring out whether, you know, the kind of the percentage uh, likelihood of a team winning. And long story short... They're going to they're gonna use our favorite Pythagorean win expectation, uh, put it in a jar, scramble it up, uh, and the 49ers have a 94.1% shot of winning at least one game the rest of the way, leaving them a, just a 5.9% shot of going 0-16. So we're going to get a game or two in there somewhere, and this might be that game. It, it just, it has to be, right? Like, uh... Just for no other reason, like when are you going to get a chance to play a team with a worse offensive line than you have with Drew Stanton at quarterback at home? Like, guess what? This is the one time you get to do that. Drew Stanton's uh, beat us before. We've said uh, this dude, before about oh, Drew Stanton. I, I know. And he's, yeah. he's, he's, he's burned us before. Um, hey, look, I'm not putting anything bad. We've been absolutely terrible at trying to predict these games because it just like it seems like something. should. I guess the last couple of weeks, things have finally started to to go that direction. But. Yeah, I don't know, man. It, it's just like this This offensive line has been really, really bad. Um, Stanton wasn't great when he came in there. I mean, he only had 16 dropbacks when he came in in relief of Palmer against the Rams before their, their bye week a couple weeks ago. Um, but we know what Drew Stanton is, right? He's been in the league as, for a long time as a backup, has had plenty of uh, kind of spot time here and there throughout the years. He's not a good player. Um, and now you put him behind an offensive line that's really, really struggled um, on the season so far, they've given up 122 pressures on just 306 pass block snaps. So that is the second worst pass blocking efficiency uh, in the league. Only Houston's been worse. It's it's just they, they're giving up pressure left and right. Um, even though the 49ers, their pressure rate has kind of declined a little bit in the last couple weeks as, as injuries have taken their toll. Um, you know, you have to think that this is a game where they can get something going, even if it's DeForest Buckner all by himself, right? And the occasional snap from Elvis Dumerville or something like that. They, they, they've got to be able to get after Stanton a little bit. Um, and so I think that's their their ticket, right? Because they have to be able to, I think, create some mistakes from that Arizona offense and and set their offense up with some good you know, field position, something, um, and, and that's going to be kind of their ticket uh, to being able to get a win. But, you know, who knows what's going to happen at this point. Yeah, at this point, I think that the our, our defensive line is going to get a little bit of a boost simply because their offensive line looks awful. Yeah. Um, I mean, it looks really, really, really bad. Um, and, and so you think of us being able to generate pressure. You take Drew Stanton, who's already pretty bad, and you, you, you give him the Tom Brady to you know Brian Hoyer dip. Uh, <laughs> that happens when you pressure a quarterback, and, and all of a sudden that's going to happen. But uh, then you've got that defense, though. And, and when we faced them last time, you know, our defense was able to hold up very well, except for that last kind of overtime drive, which was very frustrating. But our de- or our, their defense was also able to hold us uh, kind of in check. And when you take a look at their defense, they're probably going to have Patrick Peterson uh, shadow Pierre Garcon one more time yep. because that's what he does. 
And, and so the question that I then have and what I'll be watching is whether or not you will have other people that are able to step up in that absence. Because Patrick Peterson is basically going to erase Pierre Garçon. He's just going to. It's what he does. So is Marquise Goodwin going to be able to step up? Is George Kittle going to get enough stick him on his hands? Is <laughs> Uh, which he really should get some stick on his hands. Do what you need to do, man. Yeah. yeah. Uh, is Trent Taylor going to be able to do much in the slot because Tyron Matthew has not had a good year this year? Um, so those I'm, I'm going to be looking for someone else to step up because if they can, then all of a sudden you've got the ability to put up, you know, I think what you need like 20 points to win this game. You would hope so. Um, that's the thing though, right? So this is, is really where we're at with this season. And I think the rest of the way going forward and it's not, uh, you know, exciting is maybe getting into some matchups specifically, but we're really at a point where with all of the injuries that, that we've had now in the last few weeks that, that have left a team um, that wasn't all that good to begin with, like now you're you're talking about guys that you're picking up off the street, being inserted into the lineup right away to play. Um, you know, there there's it's difficult to know what to expect schematically. You know that Shanahan's going to try to come out and um, be conservative offensively to try to not put Beathard in bad situations. Uh, which is going to make it tough to to kind of generate any sort of big or explosive plays offensively, um, and, and so I think really it's it, it it we're at a point in the season where I am going to really be watching these young players, right? It's it's player evaluation season for us uh, for the 49ers for the rest of the year. Wins and losses, not that they really mattered earlier in the season, you know, uh, realistically, but they definitely don't matter now. Um, and, and it's not about going out there. Of course, coaches are going to, you know, they're they're going to want to try to win. They're going to want to be competitive, all that. But it, it's really about finding out which players are going to be part of the long-term plan here, right? Um, we've already seen Richard Robinson gone, right? A player, a young player that, that had some talent that you thought could be developed, like that, that seemed like maybe one of the holdovers that might stick around. He's gone. So it's 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 now looking at all of these young players and seeing who, like you said, is going to step up, right? George Kittle, Trent Taylor, love them both, think that they'll be like good players, but they've still been up and down, right? They've still been spotty. They've had moments that haven't been great. Kittle's had the drop issues. Like you're seeing all these things. You want to see them continue to develop and continue to be better so that going into next year, you can feel more confident that they're going to be, you know, pieces that you can rely on a, on a team that's not terrible. But real quick before we get to the prediction for the game, it, do you think that the move to trade Rashad Robinson was a little impulsive given that he's young? He had an okay kind of opening season in, in limited snaps because he didn't, you know, he wasn't the starter right away. And, and we traded him away for a fifth round pick. Granted, we drafted him with a late fourth, a compensatory, a compensatory fourth. Man, allergies in Texas suck, by the way. They're the worst. Yeah, sorry. Uh, but uh, we traded him away for a fifth. Got him for a fourth. It's a it's a compensatory pick. It's not like we are flush with corners. Um, you know what was the har- the, the argument would be? What's the harm in keeping a guy who could still develop into something, even if that something is a backup corner? Which with a fourth round pick, you're like, okay, cool, you've got a backup corner. You're all right. Sure. Um, at at a cheap salary, with two you know two years remaining, instead you know you kind of wished him away. Because maybe he threw a tantrum or maybe he had a couple penalties, but it's not like Dante Johnson's, you know, lighting up the world on the other side either. Yeah. Um, you know, was was that move a little rash and a little impulsive given the absolute lack of talent at the corner position? I mean, I I could definitely see how you feel that way. Um, I wouldn't argue too strongly against that, I guess. I can see though, like it, to me, it seemed to really be uh, uh an off field related move right it, it was it was more because yeah i think the the argument on field um has always kind of been the same for robinson and that hasn't really changed which is that he's a talented player that has a lot of development to do right he he hasn't put it all together yet he's still incredibly inconsistent and even though he flashes and has snaps that look amazing right that are that are great that that's how you start to buy into the he can be a number one corner type stuff that happened during the offseason. Or, or even a number two corner. Yeah. Or even just, just like, a, a good starting cornerback, right? Like those, th- there are plays that, okay, yeah, you can bring those up and I you start to build a decent case, right? But there are too many plays where he just looks awful. And so I think he uh, was a guy that didn't play a lot in college, right? He's been a project. He, he's been a project player. And I think they just decided that uh, that compounded with the fact that it's something seems to be going on off the field that they, you know, obviously culture has been a very big uh, part of what this, this new regime wants to do. And they want to make sure that as they're rebuilding, that they have the right guys in place for that. Um, that to me seemed to be kind of the tipping point there where it's just like, he wasn't doing enough on the field to justify the stuff 
off the field. Yeah. So let's move on. We're, we're not going to be, um, you know, too worse for the wear by getting rid of him. Yeah, I do think it was a little impulsive again. I'm not going to, you know, stand on a soapbox and be like, we shouldn't have, you know, traded him. I, you know, I think yeah. it was probably a, a combination of a, of a triumvirate of different things. You mentioned two of them, which was, you know, that he, he had up and down on field production, a couple of tantrums off the field in, in two games. And, and the fact that, you know, the, the team wants to bring their guys in. Yeah. And, and when you look at the, when you look at what their guys have done thus far, almost every move that they've made thus far has paid off. In some way, shape, or form, except for Hoyer beat hard, but now they and the offensive weapon. Yeah, the, and we didn't get a chance to see Malcolm Smith not work out. So yeah. uh. fair, also fair. But they've shown the ability to be able to draft well. Yeah, and so you know, you at least in one season, who knows if that's going to you know sustain itself? I mean, even Trent Baalke had his twenty turn draft class. Who knows? Yeah, but but it's going to be interesting to see what they do, and it's going to be interesting to see how they replenish that defensive back field because they need corners and they need corners bad yeah uh, i mean you look at priorities for for next offseason right and starting to to try to figure out that picture and it's again it's a lot like they, they need a lot of premium positions um but i think yeah you look at cornerback you look at offensive line those have to be two of the, the things that you know they were kind of offensive line especially was was pretty much ignored this offseason right one of the things you just can't get to um and so you would expect that to be a big priority and then cornerback they added witherspoon um, you know, made some kind of bottom of the roster changes there, but you know, that was largely the same group. Um, and so you would expect that we're going to see, um, you know, some more changes there by the time that next off or the next season rolls around. All right. We got to watch the Astros wrap up this world series, uh, because duck the Fodgers, uh, and also my wife is a Houston Astros fan. So let's go Stros. Uh, but give me your prediction. We're three and five on the year thus far. We accurately predicted the covering of the spread with Philadelphia. The spread from Bovada on this game against the Arizona Cardinals is Arizona's favored by two. I, I think it's got to. I mean, I, I think this is what the third time, second time, third time that we've that went for a win. I'm going to pick a win. I, I think it's it's got to again. It's got to happen somewhere. I don't think they're going 0 16. These next two weeks to me are the most likely spots for for a win to come. Uh, facing uh, Drew Stanton uh, is still better than facing Eli Manning. So, I mean, yeah, yeah I don't know. That's... I think this is the third. I think this is the second time we've done win. I think it was Indy in this game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I think we said they were going to cover against the Cowboys, which yes. in hindsight was a really, really ridiculous decision. A, a poor move. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think that they, that they cover and this game is at home. Right. Uh, and so I think that they will win, if only because all of the Cardinals fans that are there will be wearing red as well. And the team won't be able to tell the difference. <laughs> These are all. This is where we're at this season. These are the type of reasons you have to yep. come up with. I mean, uh, nothing else. Like it's, uh, it's whatever. That's exactly right. Yeah. Uh, so, man, uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, quarterback of the future, and boy, is he handsome, dude. He uh, is. He is handsome. Last note on him is like it's good to feel optimistic. Like I still have no idea. I'm probably not even as optimistic as uh, as a lot of people are out there right now, but. I think this is the first time that there is reason to have like legitimate optimism at the quarterback position um, in, in a while now, you know, yeah. in, in, in a, in a few years since Colin Kaepernick was doing his thing. So. I agree. I'm optimistic. I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm definitely excited to see what Shanahan can do with a quarterback that he's wanted. I mean, he wanted the guy coming out of uh, the draft. He, he said that he and Derek he's Hart, not been shy about that. No, uh, no, not he's, at all. Shanahan's a little bit like that guy on Twitter who's like, told you, told you, <laughs> called it. That's my guy. Uh, basically, what we're saying is that this might be his Matt Breida. Like, the, 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 that's, that's, that's how Shanahan's feeling right now. Yeah, yeah. It's like, hey, man, you know, you feel this is why uh, you bring him in here, right? This yep. is why you bring Kyle Shanahan in is to fix the offense and especially that fix the quarterback position. Exactly. That's how you do it. So. Exactly. Uh, you gotta, you gotta roll with it. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But, um, I, I think right now you gotta feel pretty good about it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I do feel good. I definitely feel positive and I'm super stoked at what this allows us to do in the draft next year. So yep. that, uh, that does it for this week's edition of the better rivals podcast. You can always follow me on Twitter. That's at better rivals. Uh, David, where can I follow you? It's going to be at Newman NFL. That's right. So this week, thanks for joining us for Garapalooza. Uh, we'll try and figure out how to spell that name. Uh, and how to say everyone else's name because we're going to always screw it up. Because that's what we do here very, very well. It's our uh, hashtag brand. That's right. Uh, hopefully the Astros are able to pull it out. If not, 
I'll be a very, very sad man. Uh, but as always, even if it's a World Series, go Niners. Hello, you're listening to Simone de Rochefort, one of the hosts of The Polygon Show. It's a show all about the video games that you'll never have time to play, brought to you by four friends who are just as passionate about food, soft drinks, and TV shows as we are about video games. Every Friday, we bring you a new hour of personal stories, like how we found the best way to play Yakuza 0, or even what happens when you play so much Zelda that you hurt your hands and can't play games anymore. Above all, we just have a really good time talking about the games that we love. Check out the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher. You can also find us at Polygon Show on Twitter and send a tweet to say hi. Thanks for listening.